0: Barbie originally started off as as a symbol of feminism. Over time, that changed because of of um, things that were happening in the world, political, socio-economical, things like that. And so then we have this very negative connotation of Barbie. The marketing campaign was starting to just reach such
1: incredible heights, too, while uh, over the summer, it was the summer of Barbie. She was everywhere. And in this way that, I think we didn't anticipate you know everyone was kind of like oh barbie's gonna be a cute fluffy thing and then the marketing campaign just made it reach kind of epic proportion
2: welcome to newhouse impact a collaboration between WAER and the Newhouse school of public communications I'm Chris bolt on this episode it's been pretty hard not to notice the attention and fervor around the Barbie movie that came out this past summer Far above the usual attention and advertising a movie trailer might get, Barbie very likely found her way into all sorts of media mentions you saw, your social media, and news coverage. (music) Newhouse Associate Dean and researcher Regina Luttrell and Newhouse Media Studies Research Assistant Carrie Welch were interested not in just the movie, but in the outsized marketing effort behind it. They found movie studio Warner Brothers and Barbie's home, Toy Company Mattel, were all in on any way to connect to potential moviegoers. Marketers used relationships people had with the iconic and sometimes criticized doll over its more than 60 years of existence to connect with and extract ticket sales from a wide range of people. Luttrell and Welsh shared thoughts about the research with me when they visited the WAER studios. So, Dr. Luttrell, you've written a book, Wonder Woman, Warrior, Disruptor, Feminist Icon. And, Carrie, you've conducted research on the bravery of Disney princesses. What made you decide to collaborate on this research uh, about the Barbie movie and the marketing of it?
0: Mm. Well, Carrie and I, she's a research assistant with me and we meet every week, multiple times a week, and we just couldn't stop talking about Barbie. And I was like, you know, there's something here. So I think we should try to build something out and write a case study specifically looking at the marketing and PR aspects. Dr. Luttrell shared tons of um, resources that she already had
1: about Barbie. So she comes with a wealth of knowledge about the topic. And so I got I got kind of inspired by that and reading about the different uh, ways Barbie's been portrayed over the years. Um, and now the, the movie happened to hit just at the same time that we were discussing it. So it was perfect timing.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so, to be clear, we're not talking about the content of the movie here. This is not a review or some big uh, comment about the social aspects therein. This is about the marketing of the movie. Yes. Did, did you have a specific research question, or what was like the scope of the research?
0: Mm. Well, it's a case study. And so, a lot of. A lot of the work that I do in my textbooks, I I write a lot of case studies. And so we wanted it to follow a certain format and specifically looking at paid, earned, shared, and owned, which is why we looked at the marketing and PR components of it. Plus, I'm a PR educator. Carrie is a former PR practitioner and um, PR educator as well. Hopeful educator. That's what I'm here to do. <laughs> but the I think too that
1: the um, the marketing campaign was starting to just reach such incredible heights too. While uh, over the summer it was the summer of Barbie. Yeah. she was everywhere, and in this way that I think we didn't anticipate. You know, everyone was kind of like, oh, Barbie's going to be a cute, fluffy thing, and then the marketing campaign just made it reach kind of epic proportions. So that's also where, why we started writing about it.
2: So you mentioned the peso, or do you do you call that peso? Or?
0: I call it peso. Peso, right? Yeah.
2: Uh, can you explain what that is?
0: Yeah, it's a um, it's a model that is used in integrated um, communications, paid media, earned media, shared media, owned media. It was developed by Jenny Dietrich back. Um, she's uh, head of Spin Sucks. It's a integrated agency, <laughs> <laughs> um, and she developed this back in 2013 2014, mm-hmm. and it just really took over. I think our industry in general, and it revolutionized how we plan, um, implement, execute, and measure PR, marketing, advertising, Mm -hmm. social media campaigns. So when every time we would have these discussions and talk about, oh, my gosh, did you see this? Did you see that? It, you can usually tie it back to paid, earned, shared, and owned. Right. That's so true. And I think that what, for me, coming into this as a former
1: um, professional in the business world for a really long time, a peso is what I did, but I just didn't know that that's what I was doing. So peso helps you organize your thoughts in terms mm-hmm. of your campaigns in a way that just makes sense.
2: Right. And paid would be advertising you buy, earned would be getting news coverage of some sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, owned, like in this case, it's Disney. Disney has obviously a lot of entities. So is that the owned aspect? And then what's the shared? That that to me would be the one that's like...
0: Oh, shared. Well, that's like... (laughs) So it's social media. It's creating campaigns where other people can... So talk about the generation, the yeah. selfie generator. So, for example, they
1: created an AI selfie generator where you could kind of plant yourself inside of the Barbie branding and their kind of movie poster treatment. So that was the the kind of graphics that everyone saw that said, this Barbie is a professor. This Barbie drives a bus. It could be anything. And that that was sort of that like really like viral shareable content that they created that sort of made this thing take off
0: before anybody even knew what the movie was about. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, those, those, those aspects. So that's considered like user-generated content. They created that. I create my own picture. Mm -hmm. um, But then I share it across multiple platforms. Um, Or if the organization, if Mattel, if, if the movie posts something on social media, then I retweet it. I comment on it. I engage other people. So that's shared media.
2: So the campaign, as we start to deconstruct it and what you guys found out, uh, needless to say, extremely complex, intentional. Um, I read that the campaign didn't release any details about sort of the plot or the main themes of the movie, yet it broke box office records. I mean, some of that is, is that it becomes more popular and people share it and find out. But your pa- uh, your paper mentioned how the team slowly released content throughout the promotional period. What is that? I think you just – did you describe it as a breadcrumbs strategy?
1: That's actually how Mattel and Warner Brothers described it. So mm -hmm. it was interesting to see a few articles come out towards the latter part of the summer where they – they described what they did in the campaign and they said they, they knew they had a hit on their hand or a potential hit on their hand so they wanted to basically um, lead people to it because people come with preconceived notions of what Barbie's going to be or not going to be right. and they wanted to make sure that everyone was able to discover it on their own so they the first trailer that they launched was it was for Avatar um, the second one <laughs> and so they placed their trailer um, as a preview for that movie and they kind of put a, a stake in the sand there and said we are as big as Avatar you know we're going to advertise during your movie. And also the the trailer was the beginning opening sequence of the movie, which is modeled after Space Odyssey. And so we're kind of just like swinging for the fences as we're coming out with our very first trailer. And Warner Brothers and Mattel said that was totally intentional and kind of driven by Greta Gerwig's confidence in what she did.
2: Hmm. Yeah, Greta Gerwig was the director of the movie and yeah. uh, set a record for the billion dollar from a Woman director.
1: One point three billion gross for this movie. It is the highest grossing success for Warner Brothers ever.
0: Yeah, I I mean I think that Mattel really took a chance because Mm -hmm. at the very onset, um, they had to give up control like Greta Gerwig was not going to um, uh, give them the script, wasn't going to let them in like none of that. She was like Mm. complete 100 percent control on her end. And so I think that's really hard for a brand and brave for a brand to be like, okay. um, isn't there, like, a quirky story? They asked for something, and she... She sent them back a poem. Yeah. She... <laughs> her, her... A poem that
2: the answer was no. Right, <laughs> right. Yes, yes, exactly.
1: exactly. Yeah. And, that, and so then, geniusly, they placed that in the earned media. So mm. I'm just like, but tell you're so smart, you yeah, know? Right. And so they allowed Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie, who was the producer of the mm-hmm. movie, she was the one that originally bought the rights to the Barbie brand um, in order to, to make a film out of it. And so they allowed those two women to go out and tell the actual story of how this movie came to be mm-hmm. in Earned media to anyone who would listen, and Mattel took a step back and they said let's um let's hear the real story. you can say whatever you need to, and we'll we'll deal with the repercussions which uh, weren't repercussions, they were just success
2: no right right uh, Are there other aspects of that sort of breadcrumb strategy that ended up appealing to different audiences? I mean, like you mentioned, people would have preconce- preconceptions about what Barbie might be, some of which are certainly negative, like you know objectification et cetera but How did that strategy of a little here, a little there allow them to reach a much more diverse, broad audience? Uh,
1: The the selfie generator and also um, some of the viral social media techniques that they used at the outset, there were also um, on the ground events that they did. They um, sponsored LGBTQ pride events right out of the gate. Again, we didn't know what Barbie was going to be. We kind of thought it was going to be like a fun romp was how people characterized it. But they, um, the, the our outfits that they wore in the skateboarding scene where they're in neon pink and neon yellow and they're wearing um, uh, rollerblades, they had t- like hordes of flash mobs that showed up at LGBTQ pride events um, in that, like that, that, that sort of dress. Right. And so it, they got the queer community on their side from the get-go, which led to like a real sense of true, genuine care and intersectionality that kind of carried through the entire campaign. So I think that the intergenerational strategy that they used where they also brought along different you know your mom, your grandmother all kind of wanted to see this movie They didn't really know what it was about but they connected with Barbie too so those those kind of factors like different demographics and age groups really benefited them
0: yeah for sure and I think they carried a that carried that throughout the um, the characters in the movie themselves like who they cast as characters You saw a greater representation yep.
2: Well in more recent days Barbie has been produced the product, the toy in different skin tones, different body types, et cetera, kind of answering the criticism that Barbie was like unnaturally Mm -hmm. built, et cetera, and created this model that's not realistic or attainable. Um, How did that show up in either the movie casting, the soundtrack, uh, you know, ways that they were able to sort of take advantage of that? I mean, given that the character is the character and it's Margot Robbie who –
0: yeah. she Yes. She's the epitome. Is, is she is Barbie, icon. right? She is exactly. the epitome of Barbie. Um, well, first, I think that we have to take a step back to 2015 when they started to migrate and change. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really great Netflix uh, documentary called Tiny Shoulders where it tracks that first step toward diversifying Barbie and changing Barbie. Um, and I, I can remember that. I, I do. I remember this so clearly. I didn't teach at Syracuse at the time, but uh, the new line of Barbie dropped and it was um, curvy Barbie, tall Barbie, plus size Barbie, um, petite Barbie. Mm-hmm. Barbie didn't have uh, she wasn't on her tiptoes anymore. There was she was like flat footed. And so I remember bringing this into my class and and like having a discussion about, oh, my gosh, this is revolutionizing this toy. Um, and then a couple of years later, I saw the the documentary, which talks about all of that. Mm-hmm. Um
2: Although maybe to combat lagging sales.
0: Yeah. Well, yes, probably. Very much so. Absolutely. I think that was definitely a piece. But also I think it was their director of Barbie at the time, not the vice president of Mattel, but the director of Barbie at the time. She was like, we're at a place in time where we need to address and change her like she I mean Barbie originally started off as as a symbol of feminism over time that changed because of of um, things that were happening in the world political socio-economical things like that and so then we have this very negative connotation of Barbie but Ruth Handler's first idea about her was to move little girls away from being moms and that was Mm. the only thing that you could be was a mother right you could be anything that right you could be an Stewardess. You could be um, an astronaut. You could be a doctor. You could be a veterinarian. So you know, I think that was that was her true intention. Um, but so to to Mattel's credit, that started in 2015. And every single year after, they, re, they since then, they have released another set of new Barbies that are far more diverse. Mm-hmm. But you asked specifically about some of the soundtracks and stuff. So. Well, yep. right.
2: Or, or just how that notion of diversifying mm-hmm. what Barbie is and then the image that it has in people's brains. Like, how do they use that promotionally to get you to watch the movie?
1: Well, without that um, pivot in 2015, we wouldn't have the Barbie movie of today. Greta Gerwig wouldn't have written it and directed it, and we wouldn't have had this massive marketing campaign that was so effective and I think that um, in terms of the soundtrack it's an interesting example. So you have this song, there was a song by Aqua, that's the Barbie girl song, and that was a song where Mattel actually sued Aqua in the 90s it's over crazy. the use of the Barbie brand, right? <laughs> and, here it
2: is in the movie. and
1: now yeah. we're, we're sampling it and Nicki Minaj is rapping over it and we just have this like full circle kind of moment where it's like we're accepting of everything. We've now allowed a lot more people into the Barbie tent, which is the way that the marketing team kind of views how people come to Barbie. And I think that the promotion really reflected that Um, the Mark Ronson did the music for Barbie. And basically they said to him, get everyone that you can who's an artist and doing something like diverse and cool in music. And and that's ultimately what they did. I
2: mean, does your case study decide or find or uh, evidence that this was just really smart and intentional or was it kind of like a swing and we're going to see what we get?
1: Mm. It was years in the making too. Yeah. That's the you thing. Mean the,
2: the campaign. The, the campaign marketing of it.
1: itself. I'm not even talking about the movie because that was way years in the making. Mm-hmm. But the campaign was at least two, three years out to plan. Over 100 licensing deals were planned by Mattel because Mattel has the products. You know, they have they have connections with Ruggable to um, Roku. You know, Mm -hmm. that's um, the amount of people that kind of participated with Mattel. So that takes time to make those um, connections happen. And then Warner Brothers brought the media. They said, okay, we've got we're going to we're going to place this on Food Network. So why is Barbie showing up in the middle of HGTV and Food Network? It's because Warner Brothers Discovery owns those channels. So they, they placed it everywhere they could think of. They also maximized their budget doing that. And that's why it was ultimately, like, really amazing to watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, very, very planned, very specific. Um, there wasn't, uh, you know, nothing was haphazard. Yeah. Is there any
2: way to say that the rebranding of Barbie and then the, you know, inclusion that's in the movie and all the promotional stuff you've already talked about, is fully authentic as opposed to just trying to sell more Barbies and more movie tickets? <laughs> I
0: think Carrie, it's a, and I, Carrie and I were talking about this. Go ahead. It's a little <laughs> bit of both. Yeah. I mean, you got to be real about I mean, about it's a business. It. Like, they're trying, is, they're yes. trying to sell sure, Barbies and movie for tickets. For sure. But. Absolutely. Um, but I, I do think, again, I think they're trying to get back to their roots. And I think they've, over the past several years, have really shown that that diversity inclusion um, accessibility those types of things are are very important to them and their brand for sure. Yeah, and
1: they've weathered the storm yes. in terms of
0: that marketing. When you launch a down syndrome Barbie,
1: yeah. that is not an easy thing to do. No. That it has to be done with care and sensitivity and so there is a commitment internally to those issues.
0: Yes. And and when they when they do something like that, they bring in experts from the down syndrome mm-hmm. community to advise. So it's not just like, oh, well this is we'll just make this doll and and we'll just call her down syndrome So, again, it's intentional. In the same way that their marketing and PR efforts were very intentional, I think their efforts to be more inclusive um, are intentional as well. And I think the the thing – so, yes, they are starting to sell.
1: So there's a character in the movie called Weird Barbie. Oh, I love her. And she's played by (laughs) – I mean, this is the best. Uh, Kate McKinnon plays her, and Mm -hmm. she's the Barbie that's been played with too hard, that overplayed. And I'm like, I was like, wow, we're talking about this now, you guys, because that's (laughs) what I did growing up. But so she's always in the splits. She's always split. She literally has her legs on the wall through most of the movie. And they're selling a doll based on Weird Barbie now. And I'm just like, that's when I'm like, oh, Mattel,
0: see, there's that. All right, little confession, I bought her. I can't wait to get her.
2: (laughs) <laughs> you bought weird Barbie.
0: I did, <laughs> I did. I cannot wait to get her. I mean, her hair's all cut and you know, she's got scribbles on her face and I don't know, it kind of reminds me of the Velveteen Rabbit. Like to me she was the most loved, yep. right? Yeah. And and I think I did that with my dolls.
1: She was loved, all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the other thing that it, it brings to light is that there is some universal truth that Barbie brings forward in its marketing and in its actual doll presentation still that resonates with lots of different women mm-hmm. and men. Yes. That's the other kind of thing. Like there's a lot of things in Barbie that were queer coded. So Mm. there are uh, members of the queer community, myself included, that was kind of like, oh, that one was for us. So (laughs) there's a lot there that's either um, overt or subtle.
2: Yeah, which is sort of the brilliance of, you know, really good director and writer and so on, you know, before the marketing, but then the marketing can capitalize on it as well.
0: Yes, Yes. for sure. Uh,
2: I mean, the film also appealed across uh, generations. Now, Mm -hmm. Barbie has been around for how long?
1: Mm, 1956? Mm. Yeah, 1956. Yeah, 1956. So many yep.
2: generations have an attachment. And as you mentioned before, preconceptions about that. But um, and there are larger themes here, feminism, patriarchy, etc. How did they or how did you find and I don't know what's in your paper exactly about how it appealed across generations? I mean, and I don't know, is Barbie a popular toy right now among young men and women, <laughs> young, boys and girls and whatever the Barbie ages are.
0: Yeah, I would definitely say so. I mean, it mean, has it
2: gotten a resurgence maybe because of I think, changes they've made. Absolutely. But what do they do in the marketing sort of to appeal to different generations so it's not just a toy movie?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I, I I mean, I think that the movie itself was uh, is not a a cartoon of Barbie, right? Like, So having right. two daughters who grew up and we watched a lot of the cartoons, that's a very different type of a – um uh, depiction of Barbie. This was was much more than that. I mean, if if you watch it, you know, um, B- Barbie Land thought that they solved all the issues of feminism and <laughs> sexism, <laughs> right? And so when when Margot Robbie when Barbie comes into um, crosses over and it comes into the real world and she's like, oh my gosh, what is this? She's objectified for the first time. She's catcalled for the first time. Those kinds of things, which Again, Carrie and I were talking about this like those are things that a lot of women experience on a daily basis. And so. Um, right. So, you know, so it was like it was for the first time you're seeing this and you're hearing it. America Ferreira's uh, speech that she gives that is is utterly it's so important and critical to the movie because. As women, I think we feel all of those things, and we feel them like just intrinsically. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that the marketing
1: was very astute in how to approach this because they didn't overtly call this a feminist movie, No, mm-hmm. um, because it would have alienated people. Like right. I'm, I'm a card-carrying feminist myself, so I'll I'll show up. <laughs> you know, I'm first in line. But I also know that that can be kind of we don't maybe we don't know what that means, and maybe mm-hmm. we're afraid of that word. So they were very careful to kind of say that this is a movie for everyone in yes. a lot of ways, and and the fact that it is the highest-grossing movie for Warner Brothers. I'm kind kind of like, wow, that really it resonated with women, men. I talked to a bunch of dads um, who said, I, oh, I brought my bo- my daughter to Barbie. And I was like, oh, OK, did you look at the marketing before you went? And they were like, yeah, I kind of did. But now, and I was like, and how old is your daughter? Nine. Yeah. And I'm like, OK, so how did that go? <laughs> and they were like, oh, well, now she knows what feminism and patriarchy are. <laughs> and then part of me was like, she already did. It's OK. you yeah. know." So it's been, it's an interesting journey, I think, for people in terms of feminism, because what is tough about fem- feminism is that it means lots of different things things to lots of different people much right. like inclusion and diversity so people um, view it in different intersected ways and this movie I think offered a lot for a lot of people
0: yeah for sure and even toward the end like I I, <laughs> I went with my daughters and they're older ones in college one's a senior my husband was there but at the end there's this really touching moment um, between America uh, Ferreira and her daughter in the movie and like I started to cry my daughters are like holding my hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh I saw Like, right yeah. yeah I was done um, but it It was. It was like this, it was this mother daughter kind of a thing that you really felt inside. And I w-
2: I w- oh, go ahead.
0: Go ahead. I just think that
1: what what will in- my mother actually asked me. I forced my parents to go see you it. Did? Yeah. And did. <laughs> uh, my mother asked asked me. She's like, "What do you think about Barbie now?" So you spent the whole summer with Barbie. So what does it feel like now? I was like, "Oh, that's such a good question." I said, "I think that it's an enduring art piece mm-hmm. that will be around for a long time, and the marketing will be viewed as a case study forever in terms of like how you you know you have something, and then how do you um, kind of like roll it out slowly and have the patience to roll it out in this way yeah. that is." Like very small phases. Um, we didn't, like, again, you, we really didn't know what Barbie was going to be until the week it launched. They didn't launch the soundtrack until three weeks before the movie came out. And that started to give you a hint as to what the right. tone was going to be. So I just thought that was really exciting.
0: Yeah, I also think that in the same way that um, Wonder Woman. Um, her character changed over the feminist timeline. Barbie has done that too, right? She started off as this very empowering figure and then has like, it's, you know, it's like up and down, up and down. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like Barbie's one of those iconic characters that will forever, um, some people will love her and some people will, will not. I think there was a quote I was looking for in our in our paper earlier that I thought summed it up really, really well. Um From the New Yorker. uh, Barbie is somehow simultaneously a a critique of corporate feminism, a love letter to a doll that has been a lightning rod for more than half a century and a send up of the company that actively participated in the adaptation. So I think so. Like that's that whole dichotomy of I love you. I hate you. I love you. I hate you kind of a thing.
2: I was going to ask you yeah. how each of you viewed the movie. You told uh, you said yeah. you went with your. I mean, could you just view it as a movie night, or or do you have to be a researcher when you go went to see? Oh it? gosh, no. I mean, you went with your I family mean, you already. Said. I did.
0: I went with my family, and no, I just I went as a consumer. I went as somebody who wanted to see the movie. Um, uh, I guess I can never like detach myself from being a researcher, but <laughs> um, but I tried to just enjoy it for what it was, and I really I don't know I I, lo- I loved it in that essence.
2: How about you, Carrie? I,
0: I feel like
1: I saved the best for last because I had gone through the entire campaign. I had lived and breathed this. I'm, I'm one of the kind of researchers where I can't, I can't do like halfway, I'm kind of all in, you know? And so I'm, I'm eat, sleep, breathing this thing. And my wife is getting tired of me talking about Barbie. <laughs> and she's like, let's just go see it on like a random, like Friday afternoon when no one's there. So it was like the two of us, and, although the theater was packed. And I was, was like, it? what is everybody oh my gosh. doing? But um, we went and I did the same thing where I tried to just let go of the paper for a minute and really experience it as someone who grew up with Barbie dolls, who cut the hair of the Barbie dolls and immediately regretted it. And you know, just meant that, that it meant something to me. And then I also didn't anticipate the mother-daughter theme that I started thinking about my daughter, who's five, and what does a Barbie doll mean to her? What does self-image mean to her? Self-worth? And so there, you know, there's just a lot there. Yeah, definitely. And then I was crying.
2: <laughs> so not to get cynical or, or too pedantic, but product placement in movies is nothing new. Oh, yeah. And usually the merch is after the movie, you know, Star Wars merchandise sold after the Star Wars movies, and that's well known. And oh, product yeah. placement, just getting a name or a brand in a movie, also well known. This is a little the reverse of that. I mean, what did you guys find, or or, or what did you find interesting in your research about how the, the product existed, and now we've kind of created this out of it, and that's what got sold?
0: Well, what I think is interesting is, so at the very end, they they show this series of um, of Barbie dolls that were discontinued. And now they're bringing Hmm. them all back. So clearly, obviously, it's a moneymaker. And so there's, you know, this renewed uh, interest in Barbie. And so some of those are are definitely coming back.
1: Mm -hmm. And there were multiple articles about the IP of Barbie. The intellectual property of Barbie was the goal And it was um, Mattel's kind of positioning themselves as a studio now. So they want to make Hot Wheels movies. They want to make any other major brand that is recognizable. They call it pre-awareness in Hollywood, where if you have pre-awareness, then you basically have a potential hit on your hand and nobody's going to invest in something that they don't already know. So when Barbie can kind of market lifestyle to the nth degree, where they created a a Barbie Dreamhouse? Instagram.
0: Oh, yeah. they created the... Um, the yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it was featured on Instagram. <laughs> yes. But it was also a real Airbnb that you can yeah. stay
1: at. And then they have all the product placement of... The rugs, the furniture, the paint color. There's a Pantone paint color which they ran out of. Yes, because they used it on set so much. The yeah. entire like <laughs> set was covered in this paint color, and there was like a run on pink paint. Yeah, and so the feeling that um, it's not just selling Barbie; it's selling a, a lifestyle. Like there's a Ruggable ad that I get served all the time where it said, um, "It's time for dopamine decor," and that Barbie somehow represents like your what you need in your brain. I'm just kind of like, "Whoa, we've gone we've gone <laughs> off the deep end now."
0: <laughs> but I, I think also. So this, this example serves as a – almost it could be a template for future yeah, um, actually, product marketing. And stuff. Was What yeah. I was going to ask yeah.
2: is, is there a template here or a – you know, design of the marketing to inch stuff out, to, you know, try to predict where the next thing is going to be, to make you think one thing, but then show you something else. What, where could that be used again as a strategy, do you I think,
0: think? I think this could be easily replicated. I mean, just to Carrie's point, I mean, if, if you're looking at Hot Wheels, you're looking at any other kinds of brands, you, again, it takes a lot of planning. It's very specific. It's methodical. You really need to think through everything, but why not partner, I mean, who, who would have thought of partnering with Airbnb? You know, right. it's like their marketing
1: team got to the table and was
0: like, what else? Can what? We yeah, do? exactly. Let's go crazy. <laughs>
1: and the fact that the marketing team was so successful that there were memes made about the Barbie marketing team. Yeah. So that's when you uh, there's a section of our paper that we called um, intangible Barbie because it was just kind of like in, in any marketing campaign, there's unpredictable moments. Sometimes they're terrible. Sometimes they're wonderful. And they, this Barbie team had a lot of wonderful moments because people said, um, I'd like the Barbie team to address climate change. Next. You know that yeah. they were so successful in marketing this movie that people were asking them to address larger like social issues. <laughs> and I feel like that only comes around once in a while. But the actual campaign itself is is very temptable it, it would require like a five year runway. For sure. But you can definitely I mean, that's what movies probably are anyway. But I feel like the idea of um, an established brand, it's like you said, it's a reverse product placement where the product already exists. And we're building this new brand around it and then selling the new brand, which kind of looks like the old brand. So everyone kind of knows what it is.
2: Are there things, I mean, if you look back in history of marketing, are there sort of iconic times where somebody tried this thing and it all of a sudden then became, oh, that's a big thing? And then that leading to, might this be that kind of moment because of the scope of it, the sort of cleverness? I mean, now that it worked after the fact, you can say it's clever. Maybe going in, you didn't know.
0: (laughs) True. Um, So there's two questions there. Yeah. First
2: of all, I mean, do you research? Do you study this was a marketing campaign that really kind of changed how you marketed. For example, I, I mean, as a journalist, I think about when companies or a brand or a product works on earned uh, attention or yep. you know earned mm-hmm. marketing where they're able to say, hey, this is newsworthy to get news coverage. And, and sometimes that can be more powerful than an ad, which we know a commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know when that actually started or who sort of pioneered that, but... Uh, Are there historical moments where you're saying like this is really where marketing changed a little or this was an aha moment that then a lot of people replicated?
1: I think that anytime you have a comeback brand is what I would say, that it's something that this is an interesting trend that we're seeing now in the in the age of rebooting, mm-hmm. where um, we're seeing a lot of the 80s and 90s coming back and we're like reimagining and rebooting them and then they take off. I, I'm trying to think of like an, another example like Barbie, but this sort of feels like a little bit of like a special case. But whenever a marketer is able to say like, we have something that we know people like and then we can turn it into something new, I feel like um, I'm almost like, uh, you know, something like a like a cabbage patch doll comes. to mind where it's like it's a baby doll but in the 80s it was like runs on toys r us for that so it's like can you reimagine a thing that people sort of understand like cabbage punch doll is a terrible example because it's just like a weird doll (laughs) but like the feeling that we had to have those things that were so iconic in that moment i Mm -hmm. think that that's what barbie accomplished
0: yeah you know, it's funny. I was at um, the New York City Toy Show years and years ago and I came across the Hello Kitty booth and it was m- massive. I mean, right. it took a- it was giant. And the sales guy was standing there and I was like, wow. I said, I didn't realize Hello Kitty was coming back. And he goes, Hello Kitty never left. You well, just grew out of her. <laughs> well, n- not to
2: mention it's bigger elsewhere in the world. Yes, that's true. That's so. true.
0: Um, and I was like, yeah. oh, and I was like, Oh, yeah, I forget, like, we grow up and we don't, you know? <laughs> yeah.
2: Right. You move away from it. <laughs> yes. Well, and what I was thinking of is, is there's some very obvious product rebrandings. Like mm-hmm. the one that comes For to sure. mind is, say, Cadillac. Cadillac oh. was an old person's yeah. car. Now Cadillac is the cutting edge. All the, the, even the product looks like that. And so the marketing follows that, and it matches music with ads, et cetera. And I'm sure social media goes crazy with that kind of stuff. Let me look forward will the barbie marketing campaign have elements that people will copy
0: Oh gosh yeah absolutely <laughs> I, think I think as we speak yeah for sure yes definitely i i mean again they're using paid earned shared and owned it's it's a known formula that works and i think that i mean they've seen and they maximized uh, yeah, it. Yeah, they absolutely maximized, maximized it. The yes. <laughs> yeah, yes,
1: exactly. And I think you're going to see those, the brand partnerships um, to that level. I think that what Barbie proved is if you have someone who understands um, product partnerships and you can really roll those out in a – A massive like tidal wave way and you can concentrate it in um, a a, defined time period, it can be really powerful. Their goal was total ubiquity during the summer of 2023. I'm like, wow, that's a goal. (laughs) And so um, if your goal is ubiquity, you've got to make sure that you can cover a lot of ground. And I do think we'll see we'll see, you know, indie directors writing mainstream movies and we'll see the marketing then, you know, around that. And it will be for established brands that we already know.
2: Uh, Let's finish up, Carrie. What was one thing from the paper that either was a surprise or like one takeaway that we haven't talked about yet?
1: I think um, I was surprised by that the universal truth that I spoke about earlier, just that um, how much Barbie resonated with different audiences and how much their marketing, which, again, wasn't it – was, it was broad and specific at the same time that we were able to reach – they were able to reach – I'm obviously a part of the Barbie, Barbie team now. Um, they were <laughs> able to reach um, everyone from baby boomers down to Generation Z. They were able to reach um, gay, straight – different backgrounds. They made um, kind of like race. It was there, but it wasn't necessarily an issue, uh, although there there are arguments that it's still a white-centered um, brand. But I felt like the inclusivity attempts were valid. And I just thought that that's a lot to get across in one marketing campaign for one movie. And this idea that um, hopefully we'll see more movies from female directors with marketing that matches. Yeah.
2: And Gina, what would you say? Like, What was one takeaway from the paper that you know you remember or again something that we haven't covered yet that's really an important takeaway for you.
0: Yeah I think for me um, it was definitely the intricacy of of their efforts Uh, as somebody who teaches public relations that tries to teach our students how to create campaigns like this it was just so multi-tiered and layered that uh, it just it was incredible I mean honestly, there would be, I try never to, to text Carrie at night, but I was. I would see these things and I'd be like, oh my gosh, Carrie, did you see this? Did you see that? Um, so for me, just wrapping my head around the fact that this was so orchestrated and so well planned, like how do I show that to my students? Um, uh, you know, that's just, that was a big takeaway for me.
2: Gotcha. Well, thank you very much.
0: Yeah, this was great. Thank you. Thank you. you.
2: Thanks for listening to Newhouse Impact with Newhouse Associate Dean and Researcher Regina Luttrell and Newhouse Media Studies Research Assistant Carrie Welch. Newhouse Impact is a collaboration of WAER and the Newhouse School of Public Communications. Production help on this episode by Hector Perez and special thanks to Dr. Luttrell for the entire Newhouse Impact podcast series. Find out more about the department at newhouse.syr.edu slash research. And you can find more episodes of Newhouse Impact on our website, waer.org. I'm Chris Bolt. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy Newhouse Impact with its intelligent and critical look at issues around communications, you're sure to like our podcast, StoryTech. Examining how big changes in technology affect storytelling, StoryTech's 10 episodes with longtime broadcast journalist Jeff Kaufman feature great conversations and insights from news coverage to entertainment media and more. Try them out at WAER.org slash podcast slash StoryTech, all one word, that's WAER.org slash podcast slash story tech. Thanks for listening.